everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Talking About Podcast. I'm Sean Kennedy. Back with me on the line once again is Liberty Baller's own Dave Early. Dave, how are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, the Sixers are undefeated in preseason, but still looking good. Uh, Eagles are the last undefeated team in the NFL. And we got Phillies baseball, for, playoff baseball for the first time in 11 years. So, yeah, fun, fun time to be a sports fan for Philadelphians right now. Um, but... We're here to talk Sixers. Uh, Dave, I'm going to start with this. Is it crazy to make the statement that Tyrese Maxey is the second best player on the Sixers? Uh, I guess it's, I guess it's crazy, but it might be true. So, um, (laughs) so crazy. It just might be true. (laughs) Is is, is it possible that it's both? Yeah. I, I, it's crazy that a guy who somehow fell to, 21 in the draft and is still barely old enough to drink is it as looking as good as he is i guess i, I think that's pretty crazy um tyrese maxi two games into preseason has been the best player on the court and he's he's averaging over 50 points per 36 minutes like that that's some pretty good analytics and i mean just on top of everything he still has that game-changing speed he can get to wherever he wants on the court but now he's just hitting every shot in sight he just it's it's a pull-up three in transition and it looks super casual he just has no wasted motion from two feet behind the arc on a on, a, on another shot and it, it doesn't look like it's an effort for him to get it there anymore he put on the 15 pounds of muscle it just looks like a super easy casual shot for him and he's just hitting everything he looks he looks amazing i mean <laughs> the hype the hype train's getting out of control but i think it's warranted yeah, all of those things are true. The hype train is completely out of control, but he's he's earned it. Like already, you know, you're looking at some of these max contracts guys like Tyler Hero, RJ Barrett, guys who had more cachet around their name, certainly more draft pedigree in Barrett's case, and Hero is also a lottery pick. But now looking at what they got, uh, I'm thinking that Tyrese is going to get a max next summer. Um, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves with all this stuff, but he's just, like you said, if he did have a big question, probably the biggest reason he fell to the Sixers was because of questions around the jump shot. His jump shot looks really clean and really pure, and he looks so comfortable taking it. He does. Um, I guess the question is, would you trade Tyrese Maxey for uh, Victor Wambayama? <laughs> You know, I saw I saw a clip today from Kevin O'Connor that looked like a seven foot eight Steph Curry. So maybe I would. <laughs> maybe maybe that's the one guy. <laughs> I, I wish I wish that we had like a couple of those hinky picks left over where you actually had a lottery pick in the coming year. Yeah, that'd be nice. Like, I, I guess there always were protections on it. So if it had jumped up the one, it, you you probably wouldn't have gotten in the first place. I guess the Kings pick was the one exception to that but yeah like they they probably wouldn't even if they had some picks they would probably been like top 10 protected or or something yeah those lakers picks were always like we had to win a coin flip to try to get it or whatever yeah right but yeah it's uh i i I, it's definitely a good year for the sixers to be all in and they they don't even have a first round pick because of the 
the trade with Brooklyn that it, that, that their picks now owned by Utah as a result of the subsequent uh, Royce O'Neal trade. So death, death taxes and Danny Ainge has some Sixers picks. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, he loves to collect them throughout the years. <laughs> um, they're, they're like his, uh, his, his weebles. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's going to be, I don't know, maybe a third of the league that's actively trying to lose to get, to get this kid out of France. Just, and just kind of crazy that like, <laughs> It was frowned upon when Sam Hinkie was tanking with 25% chance odds at the top pick. Now you only have like 14. Yeah, but that seems to be enough to shift the calculus for people, given how good this that kid has looked. Um, but yeah, anyway, Sixers, good year for them to be all in and look good so far. I mean, we, we've talked about Tyrese and how outstanding he's looked. You, you wrote in a pretty interesting piece this afternoon for, for Liberty Ballers, where I guess the, the, the main point of questioning is, is it better if it's Tyrese that becomes the second best player? Because he just becomes this like legitimate all-star makes an all-star team this year in a, in a crowded Eastern conference backcourt field, or is it better if James Harden like recaptures his Brooklyn pre-injury vibes and is also a legitimate all-star like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it could definitely be both. There's no reason it couldn't be, but where do you kind of lean in what you think the, the better outcome would be? I guess I feel that the, the best, the highest ceiling is that Harden is better than he was last year, but Maxi has just transcended and he's just a bona fide star. And, you know, he, now you have three surefire all-stars and that would be your home run scenario, I suppose, in my opinion. For sure. Yeah. I I think Harden as a baseline will still be great facilitator, able to, you know, find those guys in the corners, create, create open looks for others around the three point arc. I think there's a decent chance that his explosiveness is gone, although he, he looked pretty good in his 2022, 20, 23 season preseason debut the other night, but I'm I'm not overly optimistic. I mean, he's definitely in great shape, but it's hard. You know, he's he's at a point in his age curve where the, you're you're going to struggle to be the same athlete you once were, and you're going. To, he's coming off an injury that kind of saps that explosiveness, just as you know that's how, how those things work. So I I don't think that they necessarily need that to happen. But Tyrese just the the ceiling just seems to be so high. I mean. He's he's a like 99th percentile athlete as far as speed and explosiveness and everything. And the only thing holding him back from being this like super blue chip prospect was the shooting. And he answered the questions last year in a big way. And he just continues to be improving in that area from, from the looks of it. So I don't know, like even even a version of Harden last year, which wasn't great but it was still a helpful and useful player even if you had that which i think i think he'll be improved upon that just from being healthier but if if tyrese levels up again like ah, man the ceiling's just so high in that scenario i i, I think that's also where i would lean for, yeah. for which you would prefer coming in i wondered like what's his jump shot like you know does he have good form and he pretty much answered that for me his his form was good and then my next question was is his release point a little bit low to the point where you worry about his off the dribble jumpers? And 
I think that he's answered the first bell so clearly. His, his jump shot form is great. It looks wonderful. I couldn't have asked for it to be just a cleaner release, you know, because these were legit questions we had. Um, and it's so rare where you're like, oh, I'm not sure if he's going to fine tune and enhance the jump shot and get that elbow in or whatever, but a guy does it and it works in games, but he's so quick that he gets space. And so defenders are respecting his drive so much that in those last couple of preseason games, we saw him hit the transition pull up because they're worried about the drive. And then we saw some mid range game, which we didn't see a ton of last year where he just kind of stops on a dime and hits a, a little baby pull up with nice touch. And you're like, wow, that, that looked repeatable. So look out NBA. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, they're on, they're on call right now. Every, every, everybody's seeing what this kid's capable of doing. Yep. Um, and I think people were kind of saying, oh, he's a chance to be like a top 50 player heading into the season. And now that, that even looks like super bearish of a projection. Like the floor, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's, it's crazy. It's like, just think how quickly this, this kid has risen up the ranks. Um, so we, we mentioned Harden, but just briefly, what, what did you think? I, there, I mean, we had so much discussion, like, oh, he's in great shape. The new diet, uh, small sample we only saw him in one game so it's like less than a half of play but I, I don't know I thought for the most part he looked pretty good what were your thoughts on seeing James out there uh yeah I put it in that post my friend texted he looks about the same he's probably in fourth gear because he's not going to give you anything in the preseason intelligently um but I thought he looked about the same like he didn't have he didn't like blow us away with a killer crossover You're like oh my goodness he's going to be an MVP this year uh, Brian wrote, I think for Forbes, maybe not for LB, his dark horse MVP candidacy, like what, what the path would look like. I wouldn't be putting much money on him to win that. Um, so I guess I'm a little bit bearish in terms of how improved he'll be from last year. I would hope for the version of him that we got when he was the new sixer for about two weeks before he started pawing at the hamstring. Um, you know, you saw some of those games against the Knicks, the Timberwolves, the Clippers, his best games. Uh, I would settle for that version. And if you gave me more than that, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. I mean, health is definitely going to be the, the ultimate uh, thing that differentiates a good, good heart and season from a bad one. So that's really all you need. Yeah. Yeah. Just be healthy. All right. So let's talk about the, uh, the kind of big off season acquisitions they brought in and we'll start with PJ Tucker, who I thought it was a real pleasure to get to see PJ Tucker in a Sixers uniform, the, the, the sequence that got a lot of the hype was the, the two offensive rebounds on one possession. He's diving on the floor and creating second chance opportunities for the team. And it, everyone's like, yep, that's something a Sixer hasn't done in 15 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, which is true. And, but, but also aside from that, like just, he's just a super smart basketball player and he does all those little things that, you know, people talk about when they're writing about the PJ Tucker profile where he does the little things, but to actually see them on the court is, is great. Like he had the little give and go with Harden, which he, he ended up missing a floater, but it was just like, yeah, that's a, that's a big two vets that know how to play basketball. Just kind of like improvising out there. Um, when, Embiid had the ball. There, there are two sequences that stood out to me. One, PJ was in the corner on the same side as Embiid and knew 
immediately to clear out to the other corner so that his man wasn't able to double on Embiid. And then there was another sequence where he was in the opposite corner from Joel and then started doing like the Danny Green, like a little bit of a corner cut, kind of like a duck into the opposite dunker spot, just like letting Joel know that he's there if the help comes. And uh, and he's good at like those screen assists. Like they, they threw a couple skip passes and and PJ immediately like turned around, set a screen and it just created an open look for his teammate. And like more than any guy I've seen in a Sixers uniform in a long time, he does all those little things and they really stood out. And I, I think he's just going to fit perfectly with all the the ball dominant guys he's on, on the on the starting lineup with. Yeah, I think you made a lot of great points. I thought a lot of the same thing. He, he just offers pure value as Sixers fans. We're used to a lot of guys who have strengths and weaknesses and their strengths are really fun to root for, but then their weaknesses drive you kind of nuts. Uh, Tucker is one of those guys who really minimizes his weaknesses. Like, what are his weaknesses? I guess ball handling, maybe. And he never does it. So, <laughs> like, doesn't um, just opts out of his weaknesses. Yeah, he yeah. opts out of his weaknesses. So he's pretty much providing you pure value. He, he gets the ball to your best players in a situation that they want to be in, and he gets them extra possessions on both ends of the floor. And he really hurt the Sixers doing that stuff in the playoffs. Um, I know at this point, Sixers fans who love the team so much that they listen to all of the mainstream podcasts and then they listen to this one, they've heard 4 billion times by now, Joel asked for this man by name and they, they brought it, they delivered it to him, but it's true. I mean, the Sixers were missing a guy like this. And uh, you know, you, you saw how much fans gravitated towards Mike Scott, who just did a little bit of this with many, many more weaknesses and he got his own hive. So (laughs) there's, there's a market for what Tucker does in Philadelphia, um, both from on court and from the fans, you know, hunger for that role. Yeah. Mike, Mike got it by being willing to get in guys' faces and wearing hockey jerseys in the, in the locker room. So hit hit a few big corner threes. Right. Yeah. Like, and then a productive player in sports. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, PJ will do those things plus 12 other helpful on court things. Um, so yeah, great, great to have him. Uh, I guess the only concern is eventually the wheels kind of fall off because he's in his late thirties, but at the moment there's no sign of that. And just looks like he's going to be a super helpful player for this team. Um, what about D'Anthony Melton? So I think first of all, the defense looks as advertised. There was the play where Harden turned it over and Melton, uh, like sprinted back and was able to intercept a, an outlet pass uh, by by the opponent, and it, it led to a hard and three on the other end. He he had a play where he's called for a foul because he kind of put his his left hand on the guy's hip, but he he really picked the pocket cleanly with the right, and you just see how quick his hands are, and there, that was really impressive. But uh, so so that was as advertised. I think the the streakiness, which is something you talked about with this shot uh, a lot when we discussed him. Uh, this offseason I think that was on has been on display and yeah as you said it might it might be a concern if if the streakiness in a, in a playoff series comes up where he's just in a cold spell and the shot's not falling um, as it has not been in these first two games so I mean is that I, I guess you you've talked about it is, is it jumping out as a, a continued concern or you just think he's he's shown enough other stuff that you just kind of roll with it yeah I would say it's a concern I mean his his defense has already impressed me and I love 
how you get a compounding effect with his defense when you pair him with other good defenders. You know, he's not like someone who you can put out there with a bunch of bad defenders and, and rely on him because if you put him out there with some other good defenders, you get like a hole is greater than the sum of its parts. So it'd be really exciting to see him get some of those minutes with Matisse or Paul Reed that we've seen and we've gotten glimpses of where it was like deflection city. So I really like that stuff. But the streakiness is there. Um, let, let's call a spade a spade. He wouldn't be a sixer if it wasn't for the streakiness. I believe he shot like three of 20 from distance in the playoffs. So you get the sense that the Grizzlies made a business decision there, like what they wanted to pay him, who, who they liked on the board and the draft come draft night, the idea that maybe Danny Green could be ready for the playoffs. They liked the value probably because they were feeling bearish about relying on his outside shot. Sixers fans have already gotten a taste that he can be a streaky shooter. He can just have a flat out cold night shooting. And he's not a guy you really want to rely on as a ball handler. The Nets, Nets picked his pocket a few times. Um, just giving us a glimpse why we read from beat writers like Rich Hoffman that he, he doesn't have great handles. Yeah, I thought he was definitely he was their on ball guy a lot more than I thought he would be. And I just chalked that up to like, obviously, James didn't play in the first game at all. In the second game, they weren't they weren't probably staggering them like they're going to in the regular season and, and certainly not in the postseason. So maybe it was just more like, hey, let's see firsthand what happens and, and just give it a shot now. But yeah, I wouldn't expect as much like D'Anthony Melton being being the primary ball handler point guard as we saw in the first two games when, when the games actually matter. Yeah, ideally not. Although I, I will point out that we have seen guys who we would have guessed will certainly play almost exclusively spot up roles be given on ball duties like guys like George Hill and shake Milton at times you thought he would be an ideal guy to put in the corner and then give the ball to someone else like Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons um, or Tyrese Maxey or James Harden and then we see these guys leading the offense and you think well that's head scratching so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that for sure because I think Melton would be better in an off ball role even in these non-embed lineups, because you could put a guy like Maxi or Harden out there and give him the ball and let him create and, and get him wide open corner threes. Yeah, but maybe the problem is just that they have a half dozen guys that are best in off-ball roles, and they only have Harden and Tyrese in the other camp. So maybe that was just... the 2018 Rockets issue. They had two ball handlers and no other ball handlers, right? You're right. Yeah. So and that's that's been a problem for the Sixers for you know. How, how long have we been saying they need a competent backup point guard? Like, uh, even, even when they didn't have a, we, we called Ben Simmons the point guard, but they, they never had like a traditional point guard in any sense of the word for, for years and years. Um, yeah. Until, until Harden came, came and be a trade last year. So uh, it's, it's, you know, it's something to watch. I, I again, I don't think it's a, a big deal, particularly in the postseason when everyone's playing, 38 minutes and you're going to have Harden or Maxi on the court at all times. But so much, yeah, it's so much of our um, fears are around what happens when Joel sits, who's going to have the ball, who's going to dribble too much because we're traumatized by these like nine minutes per game. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in playoff moments where we're like a minus 25. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a thing all season long. They, I, and I'm very optimistic about the season. Um, 
and I think their their depth has has done a lot to alleviate concerns. And I think they're going to be a, an excellent regular season team because I, I think they have like eleven to twelve really solid legitimate rotation pieces. So even if an injury or two crops up along the way, they're they're not going to be sunk like they were in, in years past when when their depth was more of a concern. But uh, yeah, we're, we're still going to say, well, what happens in the postseason? Like that's right. That's always going to be the the thing until they prove otherwise. So, yep, uh, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about the first two preseason games for the Sixers. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, and we're back. Um, I guess the other... Before we we, we talk about the backup center stuff, uh, the, the other... New guy was Dan Wellhouse Jr., who made his debut in the in the second game on Wednesday. Uh, hit hit a corner three. I thought good energy. Just just basically like kind of the plug and play three and D guy that everyone expected. Uh, would would you summarize it as such? Also, yeah, he was coming in with a stiff neck. He missed the opener, the stiff neck. So it was good to see him out there and healthy. Um, and yeah, I think he's. I think he's going to be. Uh, I think he was a good addition. I liked his defense in the playoffs last year for Utah. I liked how he defended both Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic at times, and how he worked with. I've mentioned on this pod before, with, alongside Hassan Whiteside, kind of funneling a star into a shot blocker, which the Sixers will have uh, when Joel's out there. So I think he's a good addition, and he's not the greatest shooter in the world, but he's a better shooter in his career than say Matisse Seibel has been. So more of a reliable two-way player or you can, you know what you're getting when you put him out there. Yeah. And, and since you brought up Matisse, let's, let's go there because you've, you've been on the Matisse shooting form beat as much as anyone over the years. Um, there was a lot of talk this off season about him revamping stuff, actually having the time to work on his own game versus, COVID or Olympics or whatever else was going on in, in the world slash uh, the basketball world where Matisse wasn't able to. And I, I think the consensus is that in kind of warm-up slash practice, it does look a little better, but in the, you know, your, your mind just reverts to what it's always known in the, in the heat of the moment of games, it kind of looks less corrected. And we, we certainly saw one ugly shot in the Cleveland game where there was a uh, a guy, Akuro, I think, was closing out on him, but it still had plenty of time. It was a pretty open look and just like hit the back of the or hit the side of the backboard from the corner. Um, he he did hit a three in the Brooklyn game. We should say, in all fairness, but still like pretty ugly shot <laughs> for an NBA guy to on an open look to to take. Uh, Dave, what's your overall impression of the the Matisse shooting and where we're at with it? Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty nicely. He's clearly made enhancements or alterations to his form. He's clearly worked on getting his shooting elbow more under the ball. I mean, over the last few years, and this is a frustration point for me because I just don't understand. Like, there's this is a multi-billion dollar team 
with tens of millions of dollars and, and you're telling me that like someone said, hey, let's get your elbow in now heading into your fourth year. Like, I don't understand why they don't do this stuff when a guy's a rookie. So I, we have heard like there was COVID shortened summer and then there was the Olympics, but like, couldn't you also do this? Or I don't know, even just, I don't know, frustration for me. Uh, like you said, despite the enhancements, I do think it's still pretty clunky. It feels like there's like nine different segments of this shot. Um, he still shoots kind of with two hands. He doesn't fully extend his right arm. His right elbow is still out. Um, I don't love his follow through. So I'm not banking on him to be a reliable shooter. It does seem based on the rotations already that Doc is going to give him chances because of his defense. Um, but I feel like he's going to have a quick hook and I'm hard, I'm having a hard time seeing the, the set rotation minutes with guys like Melton and house who would appear to me to be above him in the pecking order in terms of winning Doc's trust, more of a prediction than a assessment of talent there. Yeah. Well, in the, in the Cleveland game, he, he was not among the first 10. Yeah. So, so you're looking at a situation where they had the regulars available and, you know, I, I, I think he'll, be more of a guy that gets some DMPs. If there's an injury or two, he'll go in the rotation. If there's a, a certain matchup that they feel he's really well suited for, for tracking a guy off screens or whatever, like that, then then maybe he'll, he'll get some minutes on a certain night, but yeah, I don't think he's going to be a part of the regular rotation. I, I don't think they're going to say, say like, Oh, he's our ninth man right now. Like pencil him in every night. That's doesn't seem like where he's at right now. So I agree. Yeah. Which, you know, that's, fair it's it's been a it's been a journey for Matisse and he he certainly struggled last year and they 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 in a situation where they really needed him to step up and he, he regressed mightily so now that they brought these reinforcements in it's you know that's that's just the reality of the situation I, um, yeah, I think this team would still you know they we heard his name shopped a lot I think this team would still really like to swing a deal uh and I assume that Matisse will be involved in that whether that's Christmas, January, I have no idea. I have no intel on this, but it just makes sense that he might not be active a lot of nights and get traded in winter. Yeah, the Matisse Korkmaz um, salary bundling is still the the only really primary path they have to to like stepping up and getting a bigger salary via trade. And uh, again, with the a lot of the league projected to be tanking for uh, for Wambayama. Uh, there, there's probably going to be more expiring vets available than in, in a normal year, I would think, too. So I agree. Yeah. Get, all you have to do is get the get the ninth seed. All you have to do is lose the play in and you'll have a shot at this guy. So, you know, there's teams like the Pelicans and the Lakers over the years who have jumped way up there. The Cavaliers back in the day. Yep. The new these new odds. Yeah. And uh, you have a shot. So. Are, is it really worth holding on to a guy who might win you one more game and help you be a, a nine seed versus a 10 seed in the play in tournament? Um, I, I want to see a team <laughs> straight up tank load, manage the plan. that would be fun. <laughs> it's going to be, a tr- there's, Oh man, it's going to be a weird year in a lot of Lamello ways. Ball is not active for tonight's game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. It's it's there's going to be some crazy stuff, and every time we're gonna we're gonna think about what if the Sixers had been doing this years ago, what 
what what hellfire would have rained down from the league office to, with to... even better odds it's crazy yeah seriously yeah. yep and to um, think we got joel and beat out of it and people were still upset literally got like an mvp yeah it yeah. We're, we're not we're not gonna rehash it again yeah, <laughs> was, we, we did it a month ago <laughs> um so let, let's talk about the backup center situation which uh for, first of all trez harrell we'll, we'll talk about him but i've I've been more pleasantly surprised by the, the Trez experience than, than I thought I would be. But mm-hmm. be- before we discuss that, Paul Reed has been the first big off the bench. Um, he was first big off the bench in the Cleveland game when MB played. He started in the Brooklyn game, and we just thought, oh, that's the typical Doc thing where he plays the third string guy when Embiid sits because he wants to maintain the continuity of the second unit. Um, so we, we really didn't think much about it, but then, and then the Keith Pompey article came out where it's like, Oh, Paul Reed's, you know, in the running for the backup minutes and serving as the backup. Yeah. Serving as the backup. Um, and we just kind of like said that was just like speculation from Keith to like get clicks or whatever. We didn't really think too much of it. And then the Cleveland game and, you know, first big subbing in for Joel Embiid is Paul Reed and Trez didn't really play until later in the game. So is Paul Reed the backup center? I, I think we have to ask that right now. Yeah, I think I think this uh, this idea that Keith pointed out that he is serving as the backup center is at least the current default, right? Um, I guess, you know, I think it was our Paul Hudrick, who was talking about like the guys that we think Doc likes. We think that Paul Reed has earned Doc's respect, and he wants to give him the benefit of the doubt now. Um, he let we know he likes Shake, and so Shake's going to get some opportunities for sure. We know he likes Niang. He like openly recruited Niang, and Niang said said as much last year. So you look at some of the guys who were Doc's guys. I wonder if Daryl Morey had a some say in this as well, where he was like, I would be just as comfortable rolling with Paul Reed and Charles Bassey. But if you really want another big, a veteran big doc, I know you like having your vet bigs, but if we do that, I'd, I'd like Paul Reed to maybe get the benefit of the doubt of the first crack at backup duties. Is it something like that potentially maybe, or maybe Reed has just outworked him. We have heard that the three hardest working guys over the summer have been, Tyrese Maxey, Paul Reed, and Matisse Thibel. So maybe Reed has earned his stripes, earned first shot at this role. Harold's a newcomer. He's going to have to uh, to compete a little bit. So the question has to be asked, is, is this like the best case scenario then? Because, you know, I know there's some Charles Bassey supporters out there, but it'd be hard-pressed to make the case that Trez, Trez Harrell wouldn't be an upgrade over Bassey as a, as a third center. And you're talking about long regular season where Embiid's going to sit some games, having having a, a guy of of Trez's capabilities and and track record who's you know still performing at a, a, a high level for what his role is. I, I I think this would be the best thing Sixers fans could have hoped for, and the only thing that was holding them back from being excited about it was that we all assumed that he'd be getting the backup minutes at the expense of Paul Reed. And we worried about the playoff implications of that. But if, if that's not the case, then this, this is tremendous. I mean, we saw in the, in the Cleveland game, 
you're, you're talking fourth quarter preseason game when everyone's, you know, you, you wouldn't expect guys to really care that much about it. And he's, he's out there, you know, taunting the, the opposing bench and, you know, flexing and he, he's got energy to burn and just like putting the team on his shoulders and leading them to the, the last second preseason win. It's, you had to be, you know, enthused and find it be, be endeared by like the energy and the, and the swagger and everything else that Trez was bringing to the table. And for him to be doing that in a preseason game, like it, it it's really going to show up. I think on those, like the, the second half of the back to back when they're, they're on the road in, in Washington or something and nobody has juice. It's just like, oh, it's just, middle of January and like, who cares about this game? And if, if they can just throw Trez in there and he can just like liven things up, I think that that'll be really valuable. Yeah. If he has that gear, if he has that offensive juice to, I mean, he had a really nice drive and Euro step finish. He, he actually had a nice like mid range pull up. Yeah. Skilled, um, so a really skilled offensive player. Yeah, he's a skilled offensive player, and he's got a, a really, really quick second jump. So he he's all over the glass, if, even if he misses a shot or someone else misses a shot. And so there's two, there's two big questions in my mind when I hear you talk about this stuff. I'm thinking, like, who can get them the difference between maybe the five seed and the three seed during the regular season? And he might be the perfect guy to help you to, you know, beast an undersized front court when you're battling – the New York Knicks one night, um, you know, maybe the Toronto Raptors visit and he gets you a crucial win there. And then you play the Wizards and then the Pistons. And then when the Bucks or Suns or Warriors or Celtics come to town, now you need a big to slide in who is who can hold his own in the pick and roll. And that's the stuff that's going to be really, really, really important in the playoffs. And for Doc Rivers, the big challenge, the big weakness has been preparing for those moments because he takes the low hanging fruit in the regular season and relies on that guy who can get him those wins against the lesser teams and fails to adequately prepare, in my opinion, for the more predictable matchups when a guy is going to put you in a one five pick and roll to target your backup center and make him defend guards 25 feet from the hoop. Harrell has a reputation around the NBA that that's not his strong suit and he has a really famous one in the bubble in particular going against the Denver Nuggets who relentlessly punished him in high screens. So if Paul Reed represents someone who Doc Rivers can trust more now than Mike Scott a couple of years ago when he was looking at Dwight Howard and Mike Scott and other backups, that would be a big lift for the Sixers. So you can have Harrell to feast uh, in the regular season and help you get from the five seed to the three seed if that's what it is, and then have your other guy for – when the Golden State Warriors come to town and you need someone to switch out on Steph Curry. Maybe Paul Reed's better at that. <laughs> what a world that would be. Oh, I, I just lost you there. Uh, I was just saying, if, is, is, this, is this really happening where Doc Rivers could be playing his personnel based on the matchup and what would be best suited for it? Like, I mean, we haven't seen it yet, but that's what I would... Have we died and gone to heaven? That's what we'd like to see here, yeah. Yeah, so oh, well, we can cross our fingers and hope, but I mean, based on the preseason usage, that seems to be where we're at, and 
We're taking yeah. an optimistic read on this Pompey Paul Reed serving as backup center, but that's that's what the optimistic read would be. Yeah. Um, hopefully that doesn't all go out the window in the the final two preseason games, and suddenly it's like, yep, opening night. There's Trez checking in at the six minute mark, and Paul Reed gets a DMP, or he plays four minutes as as the four alongside Embiid, and that's it. And he's checking Giannis, who scores 11 straight, and the Bucks win by two. <laughs> yeah, that's what you don't want. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, real quick, any any end of bench guys that flashed you at all, or any any other note, notes you wanted to to make known from the first two games? Well, Champagne looked better than I thought. Springer looks like he's not going to be part of the rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if he's trade fodder. Um, Cork Miles was a mixed bag. I mean, two of eight, 0 for five the other night, but he looked much better in the first game. He did say he's like over some nerve damage in his wrist. And I do remember his shot falling off abruptly when he had a wrist injury at one point. Um, I don't know that he's going to get minutes. So like between Cork Miles and Isaiah Joe and Matisse Seibel, it's, it's hard to pencil those guys in if Shake Milton's going to get run. Shake Milton got 27 minutes. So I guess you give him the edge on being one of the final rotation players at this point. Yeah. I mean, shakes docs guy. And yep. I, I just, yeah, he seems like he's got that, the inside track to that, that final spot in the second unit. So yeah, I, I agree with your points. Um, yeah. Springer's offensive game. Just, I, I he bad. got, he got hype about his defense and in, in camp and it's like, Oh, could Springer, be further along than we thought it's it's still so far away offensively there's no way he's part of a rotation this year no he doesn't look like an nba player yet that's bottom no. line yeah he's gonna be in delaware or if not some other organization so yeah that's i i agree with all your points um the the champagne brooklyn sequence was like the only five minutes of basketball i've been even somewhat intrigued from him by so i don't <laughs> yeah. think he's done enough but uh yeah it was at least good to see for him for his future prospects i guess um all right but exciting two games from the sixers they have looked great so far hopefully that continues we'll have i guess we'll have regular season now there's there's kind of a long gap for the preseason so i doubt i don't think we have regular season to talk to you about next week but uh probably probably a regular season preview if nothing else um so dave thanks for joining me where, where can people find your work online at david early on twitter and at libertyballers.com all right yep check out his stuff uh, just put that that hard and maxi pull up there on lb as we were recording um i'm sean kennedy at philly fast break on twitter and everybody have a good weekend and enjoy Phillies postseason baseball. Enjoy the birds this weekend. And yeah, regular season basketball right around the quarter. Exciting stuff. Talk to you soon. Yeah, birds. <laughs> good year for the birds. Let's go. <laughs>